Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, this is Doc Huffbrower coming to you from my home studio here in Alvin, Texas. Um, really excited to be bringing on Mark Dilatouche. And um, Mark specializes in helping practices go fee-for-service, which many of you know is a, is a particular passion of mine because, man, I hate insurance companies with a burning passion. Over the last <laughs> year, I've noticed that a lot of you guys have decided that you want to drop insurances, but you're not sure how, and maybe you're a little bit afraid. And so I thought maybe by bringing Mark on, we could have a great discussion about how people can get out of this insurance hamster wheel. So without further ado, Mark, how the heck are you today? Hey, Doc, how are you? Doing Man, good. Doing, doing good. great over here. I'm always happy to talk to doctors about insurance and marketing and getting out of insurance. Always happy. Well, it's it's definitely a passion of mine. I was I was able to go fee for service many many years back, but you know I, I found that I made a whole lot of mistakes when I did it. You know, I um, I, I looked at it, and I, I know I look at it a little bit differently than some people. I actually um, ran the numbers to find out what insurance was costing me the most money. I made an assumption, which was an overly aggressive one, I admit, but I assumed that half of my patients would fall off the books. And so if right. if that insurance company was costing me so much money that I could see half of those patients at full fee and make more money or the same money, it was an obvious choice to drop that one. Unfortunately, even though I, I did go about it in a very organized manner, I, I, the one thing I didn't know, and it's those things you don't know that bite you in the butt, which is why Mark is here, because he's gonna keep you guys safe while you attempt to go fee-for-service. The thing I didn't know is these third-party bundlers, Mark, zealous right. bit me in the butt because I was in again, out again. And it, it's not, guys, if you read the book Influenced by uh, Cialdini, he'll tell you it is not excellent service that people seek, even though they, they, they think they want that. What they seek is predictability. And we didn't lose any patients, like literally any patients at all, until we got picked back up by zealous on some of the insurances that we had dropped. And then all of a sudden, I was having to have conversations with these patients about, hey, you know, we're in again, out again. You know, what's, what's going on? I was confused by it. They were confused by it. Patients don't like to be confused. Mark, what are your thoughts on this? And how can people avoid making that same mistake? Wow. Um, okay. I, I don't think you made a mistake. Well, I should have dropped Zealous successful. first. <laughs> or, right, or, well, you, okay. You know, or, or, okay. Or, or altered my contract, you know? Right, right. I, I mean, ultimately, the bottom line is, is really, you didn't really make a mistake because you successfully transitioned away into fee-for-service and you're probably working less hours and oh, probably, right, probably have a, um, a better standard of living, right? Absolutely. So, um, okay, right. So I, I don't think you made a mistake. I can I can I can speak to the main mistakes we see all the time. Um, I own a I own New Patients Inc. It's a marketing firm, and 
And dentists will come to us when they need more new patients more than anything, right? And a lot of times we'll look, we do an analysis beforehand, we'll look and we'll ask them questions like, well, how many new patients are you getting a month now? And they'll say something like 30. And it's a single doctor practice, right? Right. And immediately the red flags go up in, in our, our mind because 30 new patients, you should solo doc, you should be you should be doing you fine. should be asking me you should be asking me how to find help right. <laughs> and it, and how to get more operatories and, and how do I you know how do I do endo and yet those are the questions you should be asking not how do I get more new patients so we dig down a little bit and we have conversations and they say well I'm in this insurance this insurance this insurance and that insurance and of course we say well are you planning on expanding are you planning on getting an associate are you planning on transitioning retiring what have you a lot of times the answer is no, they just want to have a better career. Right. Right. They want to work the same. They just want to work the same or maybe less hours, <clears throat> pay off their debt, take care of their family and have hobbies and, and a life, you know, outside of the practice, which that's not unreasonable. Right. So, um, so once we figure out that really what we're dealing with here is an insurance transition, that it's not really, I need more insurance patients so I can run faster on the hamster wheel, <laughs> as you put it, right? Okay, so once we do that, then then we start really to go to work on, on okay, doc, if, if this is what you want, this is what you're looking at. And, and I, I wrote a book, I wrote a guide on how to do this. You, everybody listening, it's a free copy. You can just go grab it. But basically, I guess the purposes of this podcast is to give you the, the cliff note version of it. Is you, you do it in a measured manner. You, your expectations are uh, 24 to 36 months. Like if you're, if you're 50% insurance based, it's going to take two or three years for you to crawl yourself out. Okay. Well, and if you want to have a practice on the other side, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and, and there's some really famous consultants out there who. So you, you mentioned mistakes. OK, the number one mistake we see is listening to a consultant who says, go cold turkey. Call all of them, send them all your letter. You're resigning. January 1st, you're, you're not going to participate with that guy. And unfortunately, many of those people, six months later, one year later, their their revenues, like they didn't even prepare. They just stopped the funnel of the phone, of the phone calls. And they didn't prepare any, their staff wasn't prepared, the doctor wasn't prepared. And they panic and they call, they would call us. <laughs> right. I was like, no, don't do that. And they and I said, here, take my guide. Let's start all over again. So um, in a nutshell, the right way to do it, and, and it's actually fun. It's an amazing experience for the right uh, dental team. Uh, the way you do it is you, and, and what I put in my guide, Doc, is different than what you recommend or what you right, did, absolutely. and that's fine. You actually go right. from the opposite direction, which actually decreases the pain points in the practice. Right. Well, that's right. Right. So- we don't go by money. We look for the most 
humans. So how many humans do you have assigned or that have this certain insurance? And you'll run all your insurance reports and you, let's say, I'm just gonna use round numbers. Let's say you have uh, 500 patients in Delta, 300 patients in Prudential, 200 patients in Cigna and 100 patients in whatever, some other plan that you participate with. And those are the four or five plans that you participate with. So what you do with that list then is you, you flip it upside down and you start working on the insurance plan that provides you with the least amount of patients. Now that makes perfect sense. Okay, so for the doctors out there, so, so well, before before we go on, I want to define something um, because I think that this definition is actually when this popped into my head, I realized I could go fee for service. I was looking at these insurance plans and I realized how much a hair, how much of a haircut I was taking. I was taking a fifty percent haircut on one of them, and right. I realized that my profit margins weren't fifty percent. If my profit margins had been fifty percent, you know, I still would have been losing money. So. Right. I realized that what I was looking at was a bad ROI on marketing because an that's insurance exactly company what I was is just, just marketing. <laughs> right. Fantastic. Right. It's, it's actually the least efficient, most yeah. expensive type of marketing that any dental practice can engage in. And I'm glad to see you were already going there. I'm sorry if I stole your thunder on that one. So no, 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 no. That's, that's a, it's actually a segue. What I was going to say is, is, you you use insurance for what it's good for it's good for uh, let's say a startup you have zero patients you don't even have friends okay right. you have zero <laughs> patients that even come into your practice and you need the phone to ring because your school loan is eight thousand a month and your your practice loan is five thousand a month and you need to make eighty thousand you need to produce 80,000 a month just to make that done. Okay. So you use insurance. You might sign up for five of those plans and you get calls and patients and calls and patients and calls and patients. And that's great. Fill your capacity, get your cash flow going, get yourself to a certain point. But once you get to that capacity, you start weaning yourself off of insurance. Absolutely. Right? So you, you, you're absolutely correct. It is absolutely 100% the most expensive form of advertising possible for any dentist to do, okay? But the cool thing about it from a dentist perspective is it's free. No, it's not free. No, 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 <laughs> it's no, no. very, no. very expensive. Oh, hold on, hold on. Okay. <laughs> well, I understand. I know. It's a misguided. I know it's point. not free. Right. right. I know it's not free, but I don't have to take money out of my pocket. Right. Okay, that's that. Okay, so so from that standpoint, and there's really no commitment on my part. There's no commitment. All I have to do is answer my phone. But you're, you don't right. have to write a check. Is I think the problem. You don't have to write a check. They right. associate exactly. writing exactly. a check with the losses, but they're they're just you know. I, know. I, I like that <laughs> to. So doctors who take insurance and complain that they need more patients. I liken it to somebody who's drilling holes in the bottom of a rowboat and bailing at the same time. Because that's exactly what you're doing. You are diluting more and more the amount of money that you're making per procedure. And, and that's another thing. Most doctors don't even understand what each procedure costs. They haven't timed it. They haven't looked at what their COGS is. 
until you look right. at your cost of goods sold, you can't make an informed decision about anything, much less right. the ROI on advertising, particularly one that actually is costing you money on many of these right. procedures. So right, no, that's that's yeah, that's a hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. So anyway, the transition piece is all right. Let's get the num. Let's get the least number of humans that has this insurance. Okay. Then the goal, the first goal is that first insurance company. We're at some point in our life, we're going to call that insurance company or send them the letter we've been dying to send them for since you've become a dentist, right? But how do we get there? So the, the hard part in the transition is starting. What you have to, what you have to do, and this is the financial hard part. The financial hard part gets easier as you get into this process. It's much easier as you get into this process. But when you first start, let's think about it. You're writing off 23 to 30% of your revenues on insurance participation, and you have to grab 5% of revenues out of your pocket to start funding your market. Because without replacing those patients, mm -hmm. you're going to tank. Okay. Well, you take, you're taking a much greater risk than you need to. Let's put it that way. Right. So, so if you're writing off at a rate of 20 to 30%, and I'm telling you that you can manage a dental practice almost anywhere in this country for 5% of the revenues, okay, through marketing, there's your profit that you're losing. The distance between 5% and 20 to 30%. Absolutely. That's, that's what you're gaining by doing this, but it's really hard for a dentist who is already participating to take that 5% out, plan for it, budget for it, and stick to it. That's the hard part, Doc. Okay. Absolutely. But if you start, when you start, what'll happen is, is you'll start to gain new patients coming in from whatever advertising market that you're doing. And they're going to start replacing those hundred from that first insurance plan that you, you're trying to get to. So when you, when you replace those hundred with the hundred that you're marketing to, man, it's a party. I mean, it's it's a team-wide event. I mean, I, I've had clients take their team to Vegas, okay, just for like, you know, a celebration when they when they get to send. I have doctors who have those letters framed in their personal offices or in their break rooms. And you know who is going to be on board with this the most? It's your the insurance coordinator. Oh, your insurance coordinator is going to love you. She's going to be, oh my gosh, she'll bring the balloons and the confetti and everything, man. I mean, Absolutely. It, right. So, okay. So now let's say it takes, I don't know, eight months to replace those hundred. Okay. Send our letter. Boom. Have our party. What's next? The one with 200. Okay. But if you just brought in a hundred fee-for-service patients or mostly fee-for-service patients, your revenues are stair-stepping yep, and you're writing off less. Okay. So now you look at that and go, well, what's 5% of my revenues now? Can my, can my mark, is my marketing budget going to expand with the same percentage? The answer is yes. Okay. Cause if you were doing 600 before, now you're doing 700, 5% of seven, 
700,000 is 35,000, it's not 30,000, okay? So you just keep, keep going in little steps, little baby steps until you take plan two, plan three, plan four. And you replace, the key is replacing the patients before you send the letter. I, I, so I that in your case, in your case, doc, you retained a lot of those patients. I, I did, but I did it a little bit differently. What I did is um, I assumed before I would drop an insurance, I wanted to have at least six months of conversations with that patient, two hygiene checks. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. would tell them, look, I, I have to tell you, your, um, your insurance company is really not reimbursing us for what we're doing. And you know, it's, it's kind of like if someone told you they were gonna pay you $15 an hour, but whenever you got the check at the end of the day, you only got $10 an hour because we're taking at least a 30% haircut in every single one of these, uh, these procedures. And even though I do have some savings, I'm actually having to go, come out of pocket to make sure that I, I give you the same quality care and so that my team right. can continue to make what they make. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's not fair. And I am so sorry that your insurance company is doing this to you. Right. Then I would tell them, one of the things that concerns me the most is that your insurance company many times will simply not pay for some of the treatments that you really need. For instance, implants. Most insurance companies, and yours included, doesn't pay for implants. And so if you want implants, you have to come out of your pocket. Well, it seems to me like that should be something that's included in the plan. What are your thoughts? And then the patients start talking about insurance because insurance is the bad guy in most parts of our life. So what you do is every story, whenever you're talking to a patient, it's always going to be a story because stories inform, stories educate, and and stories sell. And and dentists don't like the word sell, but they sell. So if you create a story where the patient is the hero, okay, you're not the victim, the patient is the hero. Every story also needs a villain or conflict. And so you make the insurance company itself the villain. I can't sure. believe that they didn't pay for this crown for you. I am so sorry that, that, that they're doing this to you. Do you want us to get on a call together so that I can tell them why you need this? It's magic because the patients all of a sudden start seeing you as their knight in shining armor rather than that evil dentist. I mean, let's face it, yeah. how many... How many professions in the world is it socially acceptable to look at them in their face right before they give you the service that they're going to give you and say, I hate your guts. Right. Only dental. Right. So unless you read. Well, 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 good on marketing. It's only if you recreate that story right. and you tell it from a perspective that allows the patient to be the hero of the story. You're their knight in shining armor. And the insurance company is the big mean corporate bully that is taking their money and not giving them what they pay for. Dental insurance is the only business I know of personally that their entire business model is predicated upon fucking their customers over. Okay, I'm done off my soapbox. So, but that's how I do it. That's that's okay. um, I was around when dental insurance actually happened. Um, It did bring $30 billion in revenues into the industry. Um, 
it did get people care that otherwise they weren't going to get care. Right. <laughs> okay. So, but like the housing bubble, like the education bubble we're going through right now, when you, when you push billions of dollars into a market, what happens? Prices go up and efficiencies mm-hmm. go down and here we are. Okay. Well, so now they have to figure out how to, because all these people, they all report to a board of directors. They all report no, to no. stockholders. Absolutely. But if you, if you do the yeah. simple math, so Mark, here's the deal. Truth be told, I was around whenever insurance came out too, but I was way younger than you were. So no, right. it, was in, it was in the 1970s and they were all indemnity plans. Um, Delta yeah. Dental, I believe was the first and they offered a $1,500 plan. So created by a dentist, by the way. Created by the dentist, exactly. It was all dentists. <laughs> and so what would happen is you'd go to the dentist and you could have up to $1,500 worth of coverage and you'd pay your monthly premium and you just got your work done. No one complained. And then they realized that they could limit the number of procedures or they could reduce the reimbursement once they had a bunch of dentist hooks hooked. When they had their hooks into them, they said, hey, look, guys, we're still going to do the same thing, but we can't afford to do it exactly the same. So we're going to reduce the amount we pay for your fillings. But look, we're going to send you all these patients. You've been enjoying that, haven't you? Then the next step was, of course, denials. Oh, mm, our dental expert says that that's not needed. And at first they were actually dentists. Now they're not even dentists. Now the clearinghouse is actually a computer that looks at your stuff and if you don't have every single thing they want to see in it, they kick the clam out immediately. It doesn't even cross someone's desk. They still have rights though. You know, you can request a dentist review the records. They must actually comply with that in every single state in the United States. They must give you a one hour interview at your time of choosing. And when they do this, it costs them between $500 and $750, depending upon how much that dentist charges them to do that review. Everyone should be doing this for every single denial. And you put it at an inconvenient time so that the dentist charges more. But all that being said, $1,500 in 1972 or 1974, I can't remember which one it was, is the equivalent of $13,295 today. Their premiums have done nothing but go up. Their reimbursements for treatment have done nothing but go down. And today, the average person has $1,200 of insurance coverage, not $15, $1,200. Even though you have the outlying plans like $1,500, and I have one congressman in my practice, those dudes have $50,000 worth of coverage. It's right. amazing. <laughs> right. so amazing them, how that works. Them and the high, <laughs> the high benefit from the post office, that one's also really, really nice. But my point right. here, guys, is dental insurance is not just screwing you. They're screwing the patient. In dollar-weighted average, they should be paying $13,000 for the coverage of every single patient. And they can't do that. I mean, the CEO does need his $7 billion salary. I'm off my soapbox again, Mark. All right, so that's okay. That's all right. So <laughs> that's all right. No, well, that's fine. I, I we We... We probably don't differ much in our attitude toward dental insurance outside of uh, when a startup comes to us and they say, I don't know, I don't have any friends and I don't have any family. I just moved here because my wife likes it or whatever, whatever the story is. And, uh, you know, I I don't know. There's a 
available 1800 square feet over there so i just signed a lease and you know my whole entire life can you help me when they say that to you right right you know i'm sitting there going like you need 800 and and they all want to be as full as they can be usually within a year if you ask a startup right. that they want oh within one year i want to have 32 hours worth of work it's like okay dude you need 800 patient charts how are you going to get them? right that you can either be the most obnoxious human being on earth and run around with your business card, or you're going to have to market the practice and at acquisition costs, like you're not right. You know, so these are the, these are the conversations that, that happen with us. Right. So in those situations, insurance participation almost always comes up because I can count on three or 400 of those 800 that I need in the first year from insurance participation in, in most US markets, right? And if I piggyback that into marketing, we get our numbers by the end of the first year, I can start weaning them off, you know, in future years. Um, but that's really how you use insurance. It's not supposed to be a life sentence. It was never- and oh, I like the way you say that. That's beautiful, I'm stealing right. that, Mark. Okay, you can steal that. So now this is probably gonna piss off every dentist listening. And, uh, and that's not my objective. My objective is for everyone to truly look at dental insurance for actually what it is. It's a marketing channel, okay? <clears throat> and the whole reason it exists is because dentists weren't ready or know how to promote dentistry to the consumer. That's why dental insurance exists because if dentistry knew how to promote dentistry to the dental consumer effectively consistently for five percent of their revenues dental insurance salespeople couldn't go around to all the employers and sell plans could they there would be nothing to sell but what happened was concurrent to insurance actually right after was the law that allowed dentists to be able to advertise, like right. lawyers and dentists and medical professionals. If I'm not mistaken, before that, it, it was disallowed. It was fought here in to Texas it. too. Um, I believe it yeah, was. Yeah. Um, it was. Oh uh, goodness. Oh gosh, what was his name? Jack Castle, um, I believe, was involved in that. As were the owners of Aspen, which allowed them to kind of take a two-pronged approach. It was a couple of smaller DSOs at the time. Um, right. and, and a couple of really well-known dentists here. And man, those dentists, it cost them personally a whole lot. I bet. I bet. But the, those two things happening simultaneously, the removal of the restriction to advertise yourself and dental insurance, those two things happen. Those decisions were made somewhere in a room where, that you and I can't get into. And they were done for very specific reasons. But anyway, um, so so I'm curious. But every if you've, you've got a guy who comes into you, you know, needless to say, guys, if you if you're planning on starting a new practice, begin advertising six months before you start, you open your doors. It's just stupid not to uh, have somebody right. who's working there two months before you open your doors taking appointments. So, all that aside, that's the proper way to open a dental practice and hit the ground running. I understand that many of us don't think about that. We just want to get out there and do the work. But you have to be a business person to own a business, or at least you should be one. All of that aside, 
new dentist comes to you, they've made both of these mistakes. They don't have anybody working for them already. No trained team to take calls. They, you know, they didn't start advertising and you tell them, well, you're going to have to take insurance or they say, Hey, I'm going to take insurance. Do you guys have a mediator that you employ to allow them to negotiate these rates or do you show them how to negotiate? We don't, we don't internally at NPI. We don't, uh, but we, we have uh, people we refer to. You, you probably do too. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah some yeah, of them yeah, like yeah. Uh, unlock the PPO, fantastic folks, but they're from what I understand, not taking any new clients. And so oh. um, it, it's actually a, a benefit that's very needed. Now, who knows? Maybe I'll start a company doing it, but um, it, right. it's, it's definitely a benefit to these new dentists. Um, well, and you know, every, every two years or so to, uh, to everyone who already owns a practice too, you guys should be renegotiating your rates just uh, like, Absolutely. Every, as soon as you're able to renegotiate your rates, you should be renegotiating them. Yeah. I know there's a qualification period and I think there's sunset periods too, right. To being able to do that. Um, also the, the in-office plans, I don't know if you're a fan. I love them. I love them. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the things that we ask people who are going through this transition is, do you have one? If you don't have one, Absolutely. you, you kind of want to get one. <laughs> right? That in-office plans combined with, okay, so path out of insurance. You and I actually kind of talked a little bit, and I know we agree on this. Not every dentist should go out of network. And that is because there are some well, No, there's who, markets where you can. Right. Absolutely. And right. there are some dentists right. who don't want to learn anything new. Guys, I'm gonna tell you right now, if you wanna go out of network, one of the ways that I was able to drop all my insurance plans was whenever I got to a point where I said, okay, if I drop this plan, uh, I'm not gonna be making it up. What I'd do is I'd learn some new procedure. And I'd say, that's the amount of money I had to make up to get out of this network. And then I dropped the network. So increasing your skill level, increasing the experience that patients have. Like I said, they don't, they, they mm -hmm. want dependability and repeatability more than they want quality, but they do want quality. Yeah. But whenever people make decisions, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they make decisions based more on fear and pain than they do reward. So comfort and an ex amazing experience is reward. Fear is inconsistency. So that's why that's more important. But the point is here, if you wanna go out of network, you need to provide a way for your patients to actually pay for the treatments that they need. So you need third-party financers and you absolutely mm -hmm. need something to cement them to your practice because insurance didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Them not wanting to go somewhere else because they don't like change did that. If you have something like an in-house payment plan or an in-house um, in uh, insurance plan or a dental savings plan like I have, that Shh, actually cements them. Insurance. Right. It, it's not, that's actually legally, you can't do that in any state. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so if you do have a dental savings plan or a dental discount plan, whatever you choose to call it. Um, actually, I, I, the, the most clever one I've ever seen was dental assurance plan. Membership plan, call it whatever you whatever. want. Just don't call it insurance. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So guys, God's honest truth. If you want to keep the most patients, all you have to do is remember what it is that drives their motivate their, their decision making process and it's fear pain and then finally reward you cover those three things or you make it to where they don't have to fear leaving your practice and they don't have to fear change because you've taken care of them those are patients for life people
Mm -hmm. And that's where your ROI build is. It's, it doesn't come the first 30 days. <laughs> right. It, your ROI build happens over the lifetime of that patient in your, in your practice and their referrals and so on and so forth. Um, Absolutely. So we are live right now. Unusually, uh, usually we don't go live on my podcast, but we did so today just to kind of, um, kind of test the waters. So folks, if you can hear us out there uh, and you're on the business of dentistry right now, if you have any questions at all for uh, Mr. Delatouche, please go ahead and put them down in the comment section and we'll try to answer them and get to them if we get them before we, uh, we finish airing this program. Um, also, Mark, if you'll send me the link to your your book, I'll go ahead and I'll post that. Yeah, it's just it, it's just newpatientsync.com, and then there's an education center link at the top, and it's right in there. Okay. You'll see the fee for service guide. You'll see unlimited new patients, volume three. Actually, the fee for service guide is in that book, um, and they're free. So just download. You know, uh, I. We also have uh, audio options there as well. So if you're a listener rather than a reader, um, you can just go get them. I think they're on Apple iTunes too. So, Fantastic. Yeah, you can get them almost anywhere. Obviously great information that you're offering. So um, I'm going to try to sit back and shut up, as you can tell. And as you knew, whenever we first talked, I'm really passionate about the subject. So right. <clears throat> you've got this dental savings plan. Now what? Well, I think it's it, it's 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 not a it, it's not a one thing. You don't do one thing to get out of insurance. Um, you 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 first understand like we're probably drilling the point home pretty hard. You you understand what it is. It's the world's worst marketing challenge. Okay, absolutely, and that's fine. That that's it, nobody's judging anyone for being participating in insurance. Then you understand your marketplace. This is something that we do um, because judging how long it's going to take you to get out of insurance participation really is dictated by, I'm not going to say 100%, but a majority of your success is going to be predicated upon how marketable is your area. And one of the things that you said with the membership plans was how marketable are you absolutely <laughs> like what what's like do you refer everything out and just do two surface composites and single crowns all day or, oh my god you know, that's my personal version of hell i know <laughs> i know but you'd be amazed at how many dentists refer out endo pedo ortho you know every ist out there they just and then they just keep what's left so all of that stuff is measured and, and, and what, what comes out of those measurements is a predictability, right? Absolutely. So the predictability, let's say it's an average, we have data for 30 years. So let's say it's an average US market, one to 1650, an average dentist with an average scope. I'm not calling any dentist here average. I'm just saying from a number standpoint, everything looks average. You're looking, and, and they have an average um, amount of insurance participation in their practice. Two to three years. And um, if it goes faster, 
everybody's going to high five each other sooner. That's your only downside. Everything becomes very predictable, very methodical, um, very team oriented. Um, and it just happens. Uh, it's not something to be afraid of, although I do understand the fear. It is definitely something to be planned for. Um, there's a there's a whole other piece of this, Doc. Uh, happens very infrequently, although it does happen. When a dentist will come to us, let's say they're 10, 20 years in, and um, you know they're just they're on the they're on the the, the hamster wheel. Absolutely. And. So I, uh, I can see you're going to steal hamster wheel. I'm st I'm stealing life. I, I'm life stealing sentence. hamster wheel. <laughs> I'm stealing hamster wheel. Okay, so they're on the hamster wheel, <clears throat> and the thing they fear the most, because there's dentists who want to be solo dentists for the rest of their career. They just if three If you put a fourth operatory in their practice, their head would explode. Okay. Right. But then there's dentists who had this bigger picture in their mind. They wanted to, you know, they, they start with three or four ops, but they want to go to eight, 12, 16, want to have an associate. They want to be able to take a vacation, right? Absolutely. They want, they want somebody else to cover the emergencies so they can go golfing without their cell phone going off. Like there's a whole bunch of reasons why some dentists would want to, you know, expand. And they're stuck on this hamster wheel themselves, and they're really afraid that if they pull away from insurance, they're not going to be able to get the other piece of their dream. And, and the answer is, there is a hybrid version to this. You can, you can participate with some until you fill the capacity. So the reason I'm even bringing this up again is you use insurance to fill massive holes in capacity. You have three capacities in your dental office. Number of dentists, hours of operation, and the number of treatment rooms. Those are the three capacities in a dental practice. There are no more. Okay. So if and and dentists will come to us and they'll go, well, <clears throat> I'm a solo dentist and I have four chairs. I'm building out my my practice. We're building a new facility. We're going to have eight chairs. I'm going to bring in an associate and they're going to work three days a week. And let's say right now the doctor's fee for service. Okay, three days a week, you work four days a week, three days a week is a 75% increase in capacity. And the dentist, it blows their mind. It totally blows their mind because they're like, what Absolutely. do you mean 75%? <clears throat> so if you have do you, do you 900 think, active patients, Do you think that? that dentists don't understand what a physical plant is and why they need to maximize it? I think I honestly, I think dentists, most of the dentists that I know, my, my buddies are so patient treatment centric. And I think, I think they're totally capable of understanding the stuff completely. I know they are because I teach it to them and they get it and they, they, they better their, their locks. Okay. So I know they can get it, but I think, I think dentistry is so. I'm not a dentist, so this is an assumption on my part. But I think dentistry is so, I mean, it's eight hours of surgery you're doing. Absolutely. 
What medical professional does eight hours of surgery four days a week? They're not allowed to. Two hundred and huh? sur sur surgeons are not allowed to actually. They're only I know but the, hours that but, can work. But I would imagine, and I'm not a dentist, but I would imagine that just pulls all your brain energy, right? And that's what you focus in on. Because most dentists that I'm that I know, I know my dentist is. And George, if you're listening, I love you to death. <laughs> He's probably the worst business person on the on planet Earth. But I drive an hour and a half through New Jersey to get to him. Because I know he cares, right. and I know he's patient-centric, and I know what the treatment, whatever he's going to do, he's going to take care of it, right? I think, I think every dentist is capable of doing this. I don't, I don't believe. I don't, I don't believe that they don't have the aptitude to pick up the business aspects that you pointed out. Absolutely, I think they'll pick it up instantly. <clears throat> honestly. I, you know, if the dental schools did a better job of preparing um, dentists for business, I think that would be an amazing thing. As it is, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy where you get these uh, these professors, many of them haven't practiced for years. They really don't know what the intricacies of insurance are. Now, I know that University of Texas Dental Branch has been making just amazing efforts to increase the student's knowledge and to actually make them see, hey, if you take insurance, this is what you're doing. This is how you file insurance. These are your write-offs. They actually brought me in to speak to one of their classes once, and I, I got banned because I kicked all the professors out of the room because I, I brought a spreadsheet with all of my costs and all of my reimbursements. And my whole thing was I don't want to ever be accused of, of colluding, right? And right. so you know, the professors, you have to leave. The dental students, you can stay because you're not actually dentist yet. And so this is the right. last chance that someone's going to have to show you the real numbers behind this game. And I, I, I was told afterwards by some of the students themselves that I had helped them greatly. Um, the, the, the problem is that the schools don't or can't, for the most part, bring that type of an education to the students. You know, it's it's kind of like saying, hey, look, um, here's a plane. You can either hire some of the fly, fly it for you or you can fly it yourself. But we're not going to train you to fly the plane. But we will, you know, we'll introduce you to this guy over here who just paid a whole bunch of money to the school. Um, and he'll he flies planes. Right. You know, it, it, it's it's a problem. It's it's a huge problem. And. You know, not to make it too dramatic there with that with that you know crash and burn kind of a scenario, but in the past dentists have only been successful because they make enough money and our profit margin was good enough that they could be complete failures as business owners. And I, I'm not trying to be ugly to anyone out there, guys, but many of us are complete failures as business owners. The only reason our business still continues to run is because we make so much money. But those days are coming to an end. Please learn to run your practice. Um, yeah, uh, we, we, may, we may actually go a little bit uh, in different directions with that. Please dentistry tell me, is, tell me. Uh, I, I, I welcome Yeah, yeah, no, 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 dentistry. <clears throat> and again, this is, this, is, this is macro business, not micro business, right? right. So macro business says, 
dentistry is still one of the top 10 individually owned businesses in America from many metrics used to measure business. One of which okay. is uh, availability of capital. And if True. you look at, if you look at the underwriting risk for a dentist borrowing money, it's like 0.4. Yeah, I think like the only, the okay. only thing that's less, uh, that, that is a less risk is actually loaning to veterinarians. I think they actually right. have quite, <laughs> right. quite higher right. But you know, right. you're, you're, so, you're absolutely correct there. But you know, whenever insurance companies start announcing twenty percent decreases no. in reimbursement, and you only have right. that, a forty percent profit margin, right? But that's where the business acumen needs to be improved. That's where that's where you say, well, wait a second, and that's where the separation from. And I know there's also a, a, an emotional need to help. Right. There's a there's a it's real. It's a, it's a, like a, it's OK if they have Medicaid. I want to help this person. I want to help this person. I want to help right. that person. But sooner or later. Someone from the outside has to go to that dentist and say, that's awesome. But. You're damaging this, this, this and the other thing. And 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 something's got to give somewhere. Right. In, in my practice, so, we actually made a budget for charitable giving and for write-offs. And um, we stuck to that budget, but included in that budget was insurance write-offs because I wanted it to be a very stark picture whenever I, talk, whenever I spoke to my team and I'd say, you know, I'd love to help Mr. Jones and we would, but we don't have the budget for it because part of that budget was taken up by these write-offs for the insurance company. Mm-hmm. And that was the first way that I started making my team see that insurance was an evil rather than a benefit. And when your team gets behind you, then you can drop insurance. If your team's not behind you and patients start asking them questions, you're sunk. I'm sorry. That's okay. We're actually running a little bit long here, but I'm enjoying the conversation. As long as you're good, I'm good. No, 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 I'm, I'm good. I just, um, yeah, no, everything, every, I think we're on pretty much all the same page. We just got to the same destination in different manners, which, which should tell the audience right. it's even more possible than they thought. There isn't exactly. one way. There is no There's one like way to do it. Exactly. Exactly. I just, I just know we probably have, well, I know we have hundreds of fee for, oh, here's another thing. I'll, we're going to wrap up the, um, the conversation here today and i would be if i got off the, the this podcast and didn't say this i would want to kick myself in the ass later because i have dentists that come to me and said you can't take fee for service it just doesn't work anymore and not in my the usual not in my area not with my patients right. not with i keep hearing all this not, stuff. not with my mindset not with well okay that's different but i always go back to them with the same thing there is a full fee for service office in every listener's market absolutely how did that happen if you can't do it how does that one happen well i'll tell you and i'm I'm gonna gonna, have these conversations and they always tell me well yeah but they did it a long time ago it was easier back then no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't easy. You know, it, it's, but there's always an excuse. 
when you right. stop finding excuses and you start finding reasons, you'll be able to drop insurances. And, and yeah. there is, by the way, a huge difference between fee-for-service and out-of-network people. Most dentists who think they're fee-for-service are actually only out-of-network. Out-of-network means that you will still file for your patients and you will still accept assignment. When you don't accept assignment of benefits, 100%, and patients pay cash, 100%, upfront, then you are a fee-for-service practice. Now, I will tell you for a fact, those are vanishingly rare. Yes. And that is more yeah, difficult the, to do every year. But being an out-of-network yeah. provider, or as I like to tell my patients, an unrestricted premier provider, right. stole those words from Christopher Phelps. Brilliant. Right, right. I know. Chris Phelps was a client of ours. He's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. I like Chris. Uh, anyway, no, um, I, I just didn't want to get off the podcast before I said that. The answer is, there's one next to you and chances are if they did it you can too you just you just when you go to market and replace those patients this is the big this is the big piece of it when you use that five percent marketing budget you have to only communicate to only the people in your surrounding area who are most likely going to value dentistry greater than a deductible. Absolutely. I, I actually that, I just tell people you need to stop marketing for new patients and they'd get all bent out of shape. I tell them you need to market for the right new patients because exactly. when, when you're, when you're in practice, okay, for instance, in my practice, I market for the specific procedures that I want to do because they have a good ROI. You don't market for class two fillings. And if you do, can I refer them to you? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, so we've done two of these. They cost a lot of money. Um, they're, uh, they're wide ranging uh, consumer studies on how dental consumers make their decisions and why they make their decisions. And once once the data, I'll put this on, do not disturb. Sorry. Uh, when the data comes in, it gets run through what's called a conjoint analysis, which is, which is an analysis tool used uh, with large volumes of data. And I, I'll give you an example of what it is. If, if there's four questions, let's say, uh, the dentist is uh, 15 miles from you. They offer Invisalign. Their prices are medium, and they have a, some level of technology. So you ask four questions, and then they rate the questions. And then you remove one of the questions and you stick a different question. So you ask four questions. The client, uh, the dentist takes your insurance. The dentist is 30 miles from you, and then they ask two more questions. So pretty soon you get a model of really what the consumers think. So here's the bottom line to everybody listening to this. 48.6% of the women, and trust me, we, we're all marketing to women. No, Absolutely. No guys make Whether decisions. you believe it or not. <laughs> right, 48.6% of the females from literally every country that participated in, the, in this, um, in these consumer studies, will not choose a healthcare provider based primarily on a price point. 
as a matter of fact, it turns them off. Okay. Yep. Now here's the flip side, 51.4% will. But if you look at all the marketing that dentistry is doing right now for themselves, they're all at the bottom. <laughs> they're yep. all going, look at my deal. Look at my deal. My postcard has four deals. I have this deal Absolutely. and that deal and this deal and that deal. Okay. So all the moms in the bottom are like, yeah, okay, give me a deal. There's even dentists that they group. Anyway. So, but nobody, um, a plug for us, we're up here. We're, we're promoting to the moms at the top. So if you want to go fee for service, you can't use postcards with multiple deals on them. Those are the same moms who were choosing health care providers based on the insurance coverage they have. Those are the moms who called you and said, do you take my insurance? What you want to get is moms calling you and saying, am I a candidate for, I want to see the doctor because something else interested them in you other than do you take my insurance? Absolutely. So if you do that with 5% of your revenues instead of writing off 30%. If you do that over time, you will replace those patients with patients that you'll, you'll, you as the dentist will actually come to really appreciate and you'll have better relationships with them. So anyway, I didn't want to go away without saying that too. Well, Mark, I'll tell you what, it's been a great conversation and I actually would love to have you on again and talk about maybe some specific strategies, but folks, you can find Mark at Mark website. Oh, it's yeah. It's newpatientsinc.com. Um, for the, for the guide and the and unlimited new patients, it's, um, it's under education center Excellent. and it's a free download. Just go ahead and download. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been truly a pleasure. And uh, for those of you out there, uh, thank you for wasting a, an hour of your life listening to the sound of our voices <laughs> droning on about insurance and um, yes. and, uh, and and at the very least, my own very, very emotionally charged feelings about them. I hope that you have learned something that helps you. I hope that you've taken something of value from this. Until next time, yeah, me too. this is Dr. Huffpower. Thanks, Doc. Signing off. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.